listening to Impact Sports Daily, WDBN's daily rundown of all things sports. And welcome back to Impact Sports Daily. Today is Tuesday, November 30th. I am your host, Matt Merrifield, joined today with Jay DeCoster. Jay, last couple days have been absolutely crazy in all sports, college football, Major League Baseball, NFL, all lots of big news has been coming out in the last couple days. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to start with college football from over the weekend. Some of the big headlines. Michigan, for the first time since 2011, took down Ohio State at home, 42-27. to Winning the Big Ten East, just a crazy game. Yeah, how about, how about that? Hassan Haskins going for 28 carries, 169 yards, and five touchdowns. Beating beating Ohio State forty two to twenty seven, and it's just the thing that stood out to me about that game. I, I couldn't catch a lot of the game, um, but their O line. I remember watching the highlights. Their O line was just absolutely dominant. Michigan's O line set a purpose and set the standard for what what they wanted to do that game, and they gave it to Ohio State. Ohio State been winning this rivalry rivalry matchup for the last nine years, and Michigan finally did it. They finally they finally got Jim Harbaugh got the monkey off his back. And now they're going to the Big Ten Championship in Indy to take on Iowa. And happy for, for Jim Harbaugh, to be honest. And I respect what they did. So, yeah, good for them. Yeah, awesome to see the uh, just the way they went out and won, too. It wasn't mm-hmm. like Ohio State played bad. Mich- Ohio State played very well. I think offensively, C.J. Stroud still had a strong game. But Michigan's defense stepped up when it had to. Aiden Hutchinson just absolutely tore up oh Ohio God. State's O-line. That's a top three draft and, pick right there. Right. What he did, him and Ajabo, I mean, that, that that pass rush, what they did to the Ohio State offensive line was something to be, was something to see. And the one, that's, the, the one that stood out to me for Aiden Hutchinson was just the bull rush he did to that Ohio State left tackle, just just completely bullying him in the middle of that game. So, just, just crazy to see, and uh, you know, good for Michigan, like I said. Yeah, he, uh, his performance this last few weeks here down the stretch have made it the top pick in next year's draft a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. Kayvon Thibodeau has been like the de facto number one pick forever, or at least it seems like that all season. And with the Lions having the pick, they might feel some pressure to take the hometown, hometown kid and Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. And the way he's played lately has brought up that question, but that's something we're going to have to wait and see down the stretch. Still a lot of time before the draft. But for Ohio State, their defense just did not have it over the, this weekend. There were there was one play, I think it was on one of Haskins' touchdowns, where the linebacker, like the center, basically blocked two guys. He blocked one of the linebackers along with the D tackle. Like I just Ohio State got no push up front. Nope. And Haskins did what Kenneth Walker did to Michigan. Oh, right? yeah. Similar performance to almost 200 yards, five touchdowns. So definitely a special moment for Michigan. Uh, Similar, similar type of game, right? Game of the year. Everybody's looking forward to it. Home game, and they go out and they get a big rivalry win. So, very happy for Michigan. That's a huge win for them for their program to see if they can start to build on what Jim Harbaugh was brought there to do and turn them into a premier program and be the team in the Big Ten. Saturday was the start. Now it's go wins next Saturday against Iowa and then continue it into future seasons. But this is definitely a great start for them. I completely agree and. You go back to C.J. Stroud, like one of the Heisman favorites. He had a pretty solid game, too. He threw for 400 yards, two touchdowns, 34 for, 34 for, 34 for 49. And it just it didn't matter. And and, and Smith and Jigba with 11 receptions, 127 yards, it just didn't matter. Michigan's offensive line was the main factor in this game. And, 
yeah, it was it was just pretty stunning to me. I, I thought Ohio State was going to beat them by at least two scores, and I was dead wrong there. And you know, good Michigan's got their path to the college football playoff, so it's good for them and their program. They haven't done it in 17 years. It's been their fans have been waiting so long. So yeah, my last thing would be that I thought that Ohio State was going to run the ball really well with Trayvon Henderson. Mm-hmm. I thought he was the second best back in the Big Ten after Kenneth Walker. Hassan Haskins is definitely the number two. I think he proved yeah. that this week. Ohio State just couldn't run the ball. Henderson's still a very good back, but I think Haskins came out and proved that, and he's proved that over the last couple of weeks with Corum beating out, that he is more versatile than we give him credit for and that he is a top back in the Big Ten and in the country. Moving on, Michigan State took on Penn State at home, pulled out a 30-27 to win to move to 10-2 and on the year and complete a 10-win regular season. I mean, you have to say it was a pretty special season for Michigan. Oh, it State. was absolutely. I mean, came, coming into the year, everyone thought everyone thought, oh, this is gonna be like a six win, you know, seven win, five win team, and we didn't we didn't know that Kenneth Walker was gonna burst on the scene and be one of the Heisman candidates, and we didn't know that you know Jaden Reed was gonna take this big step, and Payne Thorne coming into his sophomore year was gonna take this big step, and it's just it's been it's been great to see under Mel Tucker for his second year and a ten win season going to the, a possible New Year's Six Bowl. To, you know, possible Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. It's been, it's been a very, it was a great year, and I just can't wait to see what the future holds for this program. Yeah, it was much better to see Michigan State's performance, obviously, coming off the Ohio State game. You could have expected them to just yeah. roll over, and mm-hmm. who cares? But they took pride in the fact that it was senior day, sent their seniors out with a big, big win. Now they have the opportunity to, at worst, play in the Outback Bowl. If Michigan yeah. loses to Iowa, I assume that state will be in the Outback Bowl. Best case scenario, they play in the Fiesta Bowl. That's a great season. You have to, absolutely. Um, obviously, this is just what we've seen from Michigan State is why Tucker got that contract. So it's definitely something to be excited about for the future. Um, I think that what we've seen from Michigan State has just been remarkable, and that I, I I'm just excited to see where the program can go from here. Now you have a ten and two season. Can you continue that in the next year and continue to build? Exactly, and. I was pretty scared the night before. We got we had reports that players were out with wrath of injuries and the flu, according to multiple reports. They're saying they're saying Jacob Panashuk was gonna be out with the or gonna be out with the flu, but he was able to go, so which is pretty surprising. And I was just surprised that State was able to get this win because Penn State gives you you know gives you really good players like Jahan Dotson and you know they're they're really good defense. And I was just I was pretty surprised, especially in that snow globe. They were ever they were able to pull that off, especially on the fourth and fifteen where Thorne just throws it up to Jaden Reed. He makes that catch that and just to seal the game for them, which was awesome to see. Because if he doesn't make that catch, you're looking at a Penn State, you know, possible driving down the field to to tie the game. So yeah, just cra- crazy ending and um ten and two season. Yeah, it was definitely one of the more complete performances for Michigan State this year. I think top to bottom, I think the Defense was better. The, uh, they, the pass rush was a lot better. I know Penn State's O-line has been an issue for them, so State was able to get to the quarterback. Um, there were only a couple times where I thought the secondary looked overmatched. Um, but other than that, the, they played a really complete game. And I think Kenneth Walker had 130 yards and a touchdown, had a really nice game. Yep. Probably, probably going to be his last in East Lansing, obviously. He'll be off to the draft. Uh, expected he goes to the draft. Um, but I think he gave himself one last performance that will I I I'd ha- I think it's safe to assume he'll be in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Will it be in, will it, will it be enough to get him over Stroud? I don't know. Don't but, believe so. But, but still, great performance. Still getting there. Yeah, it's yeah, nice. Just something that uh, just awesome, awesome season he's had for a special season for Michigan State, and just 
we'll have to wait and see where they go from here. Uh, another big game was Saturday night in the Bedlam rivalry. Oklahoma State hosted Oklahoma, a rivalry that's been owned by OU for years. Even I think just the entire series has just been completely owned by OU. Oklahoma State takes down the Sooners and is now going to the wins wins or finishes atop the Big Twelve this year, going to the Big Twelve championship game, and now prime opportunity to go to exactly. the playoff. Yeah, if, if again, if they, if they take down Baylor, and Baylor's a very good team, obviously, you know, if they don't win, they're a Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl candidate. But if they take down Baylor, they're looking at a college football playoff appearance. We'll have to see. But Oklahoma State, what they did with, with Spencer Sanders, didn't have the best game. Uh, two interceptions and only, only one touchdown, 214 yards passing. But what I liked about them is they were able to control the game, and they were able to limit Caleb Williams and what he was able to do. And Kenny Brooks, Kennedy Brooks for Oklahoma, great game for him. 22, 22 carries for 139 yards rushing, and <clears throat> able to take them down in a hostile environment over there and over there at Oklahoma State, and to take down a rival that that Oklahoma's dominated over the years at Bedlam. It's just it's great for it's great for Oklahoma State and great for Mike Gundy. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was an absolute crazy weekend in football. Auburn almost took down Bama. You had Minnesota take down Wisconsin, so the playoff picture's really been shaken up now. I think that I think there's a very good chance you see Oklahoma State, Michigan, and Cincinnati in the playoff with Georgia, and I don't think anybody expected that coming no. into the season, right? There's Absolutely not. Most likely, I, I I don't see a situation how Ohio State gets in. Bama is in if they beat Georgia, but I think that's a big if. Uh, Notre Dame is on the verge, but we're going to talk about some news with them in a second. Just a weird playoff year. I mean, and, and you might make the argument that why wasn't there should be an expansion? I know we've talked about it multiple times before, but this would be an awesome year because of just how much, how close yeah. all these teams have been. All Especially year. with all these teams down, um, you got the Clemsons of the world; they're down, and you know, teams like that, they they, it's been just a weird year of college football, and it's been crazy to see. You got all this this parody in. The sport, which is awesome to see, because usually we'll have the Clemsons and the Alabamas and the Georgias just running the table the whole year. But now we got the new teams like the Cincinnati's and the Michigans. So it's just been a weird year and crazy to see. So yeah, definitely, this parity is, I think, what college football needs to get an expanded playoff mm-hmm. because it furthers the argument that everybody's got a shot. Moving on, big head coaching. The head coach carousel has already started in college football. Obviously. During the middle of the year, Mel Tucker was expected to go to LSU and fill the Ed Orgeron job. But obviously, his 10-year, $95 million extension is keeping him in East Lansing. But now, as LSU to go out and find their guy. Last night, they went out and got Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. A shocking that? decision. I didn't see that coming. Jay, what were your thoughts? I, I was shocked by that. I thought Brian Kelly was here to stay at, at, um, at South Bend, but apparently not. He's going off to Baton Rouge. And I think I think he made this decision just because he gets to face tougher tougher competition in the SEC, and he gets a chance to win a national championship to solidify his resume. He's already a Hall of Fame coach. We already know that. What he did in Notre Dame was spectacular, but he hasn't won that national championship yet. And I'm interested to see how he is able to do down there. Matt, what do you think? What do you think? I think that <clears throat> he had reached his limit at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You know, being not in a yep. conference, right? Your chances of making the playoffs are very limited. They have an outside shot. If if Cincinnati goes down this weekend, that gives them a prime opportunity to jump in. Obviously, it'd be kind of awkward with him <laughs> yeah. leaving. Not sure how they would handle that, having a college football playoff team have their coach leave. Um, That'd be weird. But that, that would be definitely fun to watch. But I definitely think that he just he reached his limit at Notre Dame. He wasn't going to win a national championship. They, 
aren't going to join a conference, I think, until 2025 when their TV contract runs out with NBC. So there's just really no future for him there. He's kind of like if he wants to keep achieving more, then he's got to go somewhere like LSU. I think that there's plenty of talent at LSU right now. They've had three – their last three years, their recruiting class has been absolutely ridiculous. So he's got the talent for him to succeed right away and come in and really make an impact for this team. I think that the only issue I see with him going there is he struggled a little bit early on at Notre Dame. It took him a couple years. I think the 2015, 2016 years after they went to the national championship for the first time, Mm -hmm. or only time, I think. Yeah, only time. They kind of had that struggle, and if he has that again at LSU, as we saw with Ed Orgeron, it's going to be an axe. But the last couple of years, he figured it out at Notre Dame. They've won 10 games the last four years, I believe, have been consistently playing near six bowls. So I have no worries about him at LSU. I just, I'm just i just excited to see what he can accomplish at a program like Especially LSU. making the college football playoff last year. I mean, they're getting rolled by Bama, but you still were able to make right. it in a COVID year, right. beating number one Clemson last year. And I'm just, I'm, like, I, like I said, I'm interested to see how he does in the SEC playing tougher competition in Alabama and Texas A&M and all these really good powerhouses. And Notre Dame with their schedule and being independent, you know, you'll play the Clemsons, but you're not, you're not going to get that, you know, tougher competition like you do in the SEC. I know Notre Dame, you know, has to play USC every year, but, you know, obviously the SEC is much better. So I'm interested to see how Brian Kelly does over there and down there in um in Baton Rouge, so it's a good, it's a really good hire for LSU. But Notre Dame fans aren't very happy with them, I would assume. <laughs> no, if you anybody watched the Illinois Notre Dame basketball game last night, Illinois fans were uh, directing some chance towards Notre Dame as the rumors broke that Brian <laughs> Kelly was leaving. So another coaching change at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley wow. leaves leaves Oklahoma for USC for USC the opening at USC. That's awesome. Uh, shocking. I mean, for what he's been able to do at Oklahoma the last few years since he took over and to just get up and just leave like he did, that's just absolutely shocking. Yeah, and, and Lincoln Riley said his press conference after Bellum, he said, you guys know how, how I am. I'm, I'm going to, you know how I am with this program. I'll I'll be here. And he's gone. He's off to USC. Uh, what was it, 10 years, $110 million. What was that? Ridiculous. Number. Yeah, that. And then they include a, a private jet 24-7. They built, they're going to, they're going to buy a house for him. So everything you want for Lincoln Riley. And it's great for USC because they've been down the dumps for like the last five years, ever since that Rose Bowl went against Penn State with Sam Darnold. And, you know, with Clay Helton at the helm, it just hasn't really worked out. And it's it's about time USC is back to relevance because, like I said, they haven't been good for a while now. And it's, it's, un, it's unlike that program to be this bad, especially this year going – you know, probably five and seven because they're not done yet. But it's it's just it's about time. So yeah, I definitely think that Lincoln Riley fits what USC needed as a head mm-hmm. coach. Uh, Clay Helton just wasn't he just isn't that big name coach. He isn't widely known. Uh, Clay Helton probably do a better job. I think just at a smaller school. But I think a name brand like USC just wasn't a fit with Lincoln. I think SC had to go out and get a guy like a Lincoln Riley, a James Franklin, somebody that's. Played at a coach at a big program has shown that they can get recruits to come come to play for them and then perform well. So I think that Lincoln Riley brings the recruiting. Oklahoma's always the top ten in the country, and then he plays an exciting brand of football. So I think that'll all work out at USC. And I just, I mean, just shocking the way you know he like he was asked in the press conference after the Bedlam game was asked, "Are you taking the LSU job?" And he said, "I am not leaving for LSU." Yep, did not lie. He did not go to LSU, but. Just absolutely just crazy to hear 
and uh, it just we'll have to wait and see. And Oklahoma's lost a lot of, uh, I think, already two, three top recruits. Yeah, for, like, for their, like five star and, recruits. And, it's and brutal. Signing day, the early signing days in two weeks. So it's definitely just a just crazy world we're living in for college football right now. And Bob Stoops took uh, the interim job. How about he that? He did. He was at Big Noon Kickoff this Saturday in Ann Arbor, and now he's like, oh, I'm taking the OU job. Yeah, he's taking back the OU <laughs> job, which is hilarious. Yeah. And then tonight in college football, the new CFP <clears throat> rankings come out, the last rankings before Sunday when we figure out who is actually in the playoff. You're going to expect Georgia to be up top. Yep, the Michigan. Only question, the only questions are, if, will Michigan jump Bama? I think they'll jump oh, Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, they'll, I think so. They'll definitely jump Cincinnati. I think they'll – Probably jump Bama, so just it's just the precursor and see who actually has their shot going into the championship Saturday. Who will have their opportunity to get into the playoff come Sunday, and other opportunities for near six bowls for other teams like Michigan State, Ole Miss, teams like that. So just a nice precursor to see where everybody stands. Now moving on to Major League Baseball, the free agency free agency frenzy has started. We're starting off the Texas Rangers after a not very good 60-102 and season last year decided they need to go get some big names. They spent, went in and spent over $560 million wow. on three players. They went in, gave Corey Seager a 10-year, $300-plus million deal. They gave Semyon a seven-year a seven deal. And then they went out and got starting pitcher John Gray from Colorado for another deal. Total the total comes out at over five hundred and sixty million, which Jeez. is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, for the Rangers, you know they're not. There's I feel like they're still rebuilding. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team next year. But to go out and make these three bold moves is just shocking for a rebuilding team. Giving Corey Seager ten years, three hundred mil, I was I was a little surprised by that. And it just tells me that the Rangers are trying to rebuild quickly and get back to what they were ten years ago. Where they where they made uh made the World Series against the Cardinals and lost, so we'll have to see how that how that goes for them. Yeah, the Rangers, and they are still rebuilding. Obviously, they do have some good pieces down their minor league system. They just got Jack Leiter in the draft this last year, who I think is yeah. going to be a lights out pitcher. Cole Wynn is another kid that's about to get called up. I think this year that's going to be lights out. So you do have two strong starting pitchers coming. They have who is expected Sam Huff to be a top mm-hmm. catching prospect. So they do have three guys, but other than that, there isn't a lot there. I think Corey Seager signing the Corey Seager sign isn't a bad one. He he's been great as long as he stays healthy. I think that one won't be the worst. I think ten years. Uh, I think he's twenty eight right now. <laughs> At the end, it could be bad, but you always have those with these big contracts. I do not like the Semyon contract. Seven really? years. He's already he turns thirty. He just turned thirty one, or he just turned thirty. I think he's thirty. Yeah. So his best years are behind him. He just had his career year, so I don't think he. Seager, I still think, can play better and still have improved numbers from what he's already had, or at least continue what he's done. I don't think Semyon's can. I I just don't see how Semyon can improve on what he's already done. So I just think that it's a little, just and especially when you're rebuilding and you probably won't be a contender for two to three years anyways. I just don't see why you would spend all that money on a second to go out and get two shortstops. And then John Gray is a solid pitcher. Obviously, his numbers are a little skewed because he pitched in Colorado, but not some big name lead of your rotation starter. So. We'll have to see what the Rangers can do with all this, but it's definitely an interesting start to the off season. Yeah, and you're right. It's Marcus Semyon. He's 31, and he had a really he had a career year with the Toronto Blue Jays, taking a one year prove it deal, and you know hitting what he had like around 40, 35 home runs. So career year for him. But yeah, taking this deal, seven years, I and mean, that's 
it's great for him. But the Rangers, that's that. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty risky, man. Yeah, definitely. Another big signing yesterday. For those of you that were up late, the Tigers got their shortstop. It is not Carlos Correa. It is in fact Javier Baez, the former Cub World Series champion with the Chicago Cubs, spent last year in New York after being traded to the Mets. Was uh, the deal is a six-year, $140 million deal, so that's about $23 million a year, much cheaper than what Carlos Correa mm-hmm. would have been. What do you make of this deal? Yeah, as a Cub fan, look, Javi, I love Javi. He was the se- second in the MVP voting behind Christian Yelich in 2018. Christian Yelich almost won the Triple Crown. But Javi's going to give you really good defense. He's a flashy player. He's he's, he's going to make you want to come to Comerica Park this summer and cheer on your tires. But... He strikes out a lot. He has. He still does not have the best discipline. Um, you saw last year with him when they were booing when they were, when the Mets fans were booing him after striking out. I believe it was like four times in a game. He gave the thumbs down sign because like they were just he was showing that the Mets fan he was showing the Mets fans they shouldn't boo him. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Javi, look, like I said, Javi, Javi's still a pretty good player in, in his prime, but. Not what he was in really in 2018, so we'll have to see how this goes for the Tigers. But a lot of strikeouts, good defense, and he's he's going to give you a lot of flash. So that's all I got. Yeah, you uh, you combine Javier Baez. He's 20. He turns 29 tomorrow. Actually, only a six-year deal, so I mm-hmm. think it's a pretty safe deal. He's hit two. He had 265 last year. Like he said, he finished I think fifth in strikeouts. He had like 180 last year, which is yeah. a lot. I mean, it's kind of how baseball is played. He was an MVP candidate in 2018, so he has. I mean, he's shown that he can be a star player and he mm-hmm. can help lead this lineup. And I don't think. Part of me thinks that the Tigers don't need a true guy because I think Torkelson and Riley Green can be that for them. Those guys are going to be up in the next year, and I think they can really push the Tigers towards being a contender as it is. So I think staying re- reserved and you know keeping these contracts with. Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez, who they signed now, I think two weeks ago, which feels like a long yeah. time ago. And you get get these guys who they're going to be off the books by the time you have to go out and sign Mize, sign Scooble, sign Torkelson and Green. So you're definitely keeping yourself open to continue to spend money. The only downside is without Correa being signed yet, it makes Illich look cheap, which I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, he hasn't spent the money. Chris Illich hasn't spent the money like his dad used to. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it keeps you safe, but... Just going to have to wait and see if the contract was worth it. I think it's a little safer than taking Correa from the standpoint of you're not investing as much. I also think that Correa is heavily interested in the Yankees and heavily interested in the Astros as well, and those teams are going to be willing to pull out their pocketbook. So I think that the Correa contract is going to be more than what we thought. Right? It's, I think it's going to be north of what Seager got. And oh, I, yeah, and definitely. I, and so I, that's the only concern I have is that they're def- they just didn't want to commit all of that to Correa, so instead they sell for a cheaper option. Now they're open to go out and sign some relief help and just fill out the team and really make this a true playoff team next year. Yeah, and for Tiger Tigers fans, it's just you have to count on the young players. Like what happened with the Cubs, happened with the Astros. You have to rely on your young talent. You just can't go out and free agency and spend big. You have to rely if, if is Spencer Torkelson going to be that guy? Is Matt Manning going to be that guy? Um, who's Casey Mize? Is he gonna is he gonna pan out for you? And in, in his third year, I believe, or his second year, third, third, yeah. third year as as the starter. So big year for these young kids coming up. And Torkelson's probably gonna make his major league debut, and I don't know, sometime in June next year. So it's it's great it's great time, exciting time to be a Tigers fan. I know you didn't get Correa, but Javi Baez is gonna give you some pretty good stuff that you didn't really have last year. So 
Yeah, my only concern for the Tigers is that you, you just with not getting Correa, is that he was supposed to be coming, be the franchise shortstop. Obviously, last year in the draft, you had an opportunity to take Marcelo Mayer at the four spot. He fell to you, and you or three, three spot, four spot. Why I can't think of what pick they had. Anyways, they had a top, the the top prospect in the draft fall to them. They passed on him. Took a pitcher again. Took, took a high school pitcher that won't be up for six years. So maybe that's the thought process that you know when he's ready. Eduardo Rodriguez in the back end of this rotation will be on their way out. But I questionable decisions, but we'll just have to wait and see. You have to trust the process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way you can put it. You just have to trust that El Avila is going to put the team in the best position. Based on last year, you can't you can't think that the Baez signing hurts. I mean, definitely an improvement at shortstop. So just going to have to wait and see. Another big signing, Max Scherzer signed with the Mets. Three, The 37-year-old signed a three-year $130 million contract, going to be getting $40-plus million a year, which is more than some teams' payroll next year. Which is That's really amazing. Cool. I mean, Steve Cohen added again, the, the the billionaire owner just spending big, trying to get the Mets back to back to relevance. You know, they, we had, they had high expectations last year for the NL East and that team with Francisco Lindor getting a 10-year deal. Hasn't really worked out so far. So bringing in a Max Scherzer, Along with Jacob Degrom in that rotation, and if Noah, <clears throat> and maybe if they can resign Noah, is Noah Syndergaard's a free agent he still? Is. Maybe if they can bring him back, I doubt they will. But if they bring him back, you're looking at a really good rotation there in Queens. But you know, it's just Max Scherzer, 37. I'm interested to see how he plays out for this contract because 37. That's, I mean, that's that's pretty old age. It's pretty old age for a pitcher, but he is Max Scherzer, so I'm a future Hall of Famer, so I'm interested to see how that works for them. Yeah, he is a, I mean, he's a bulldog, right? He goes out and he wins mm-hmm. the big game, so I definitely, I mean, he's definitely going to help the Mets. Obviously, you now have <coughs> arguably the two best pitchers in the in National League as your starting rotation. I think they need lineup help. I think yes. there's a lot, There's there were better places for them to spend the money, but if Steve Cohen's willing to go out and spend the money, then, I mean, go get yourself another ace, and now you should be set pitching-wise. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. Obviously, the Mets underperformed last year. Their division doesn't get any easier. The Braves are going to be better, even better next year with all their guys coming back from injury. The Phillies are going to be still good, even though I don't, they always seem to uh, uh, flame out during mm-hmm. the season. Uh, I think the Marlins are continuing to get better. and I just The division's tough question they're signing but we'll have to trust the process with the Mets because they are the Mets (laughs) and moving on now to the NFL we had a big weekend let's start off with Monday night football the Washington football team took down the Seattle Seahawks 17 to 15 yeah I mean weird weird game what'd you what'd you think yeah I think Russell Wilson lost he's lost four straight starts the first time in his NFL career and you know, he just he didn't he didn't really look that good last night. He had that he had that really good drive at the end of the game, but he's missing passes, he's inaccuracy. It's just it hasn't really looked this looked like the Russ we've always, you know, watched over the years. And Washington a big win for them. They've won three straight after that really tough start. So they are now five and six in the NFC playoff hunt. So I'm interested to see how they go on moving forward. But it's been tough for Russell Wilson, Matt. Yep. Washington I mean Seattle, I think last night just I think that's. I don't want to say it's the end of C, like just what we've the, the. It's the end of an era in Seattle. I think. I think. Yeah, I think just, it is too. Seattle is. I would say they're out of the playoff picture. Russell Wilson probably this might be his last year. I think that he'll finally ask for a trade and they'll finally move him. 
So I, I think that we're seeing the true end of, of what has been quite a long and impressive era for the Seahawks with uh, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson uh, for Washington. That puts them now at the seventh seed in the wild card for the NFC. They've won three in a row since their bye. Their defense looks much better, looks similar to how it looked last year, even with Chase Young going down. They're, they're, they had a, such a tough start to the season that – it's nice to see them come back and really, even if they can't get back into the division race, at least stay close and make a wild card spot. Absolutely, and Ron Rivera's team always, always is going to find a way to, to uh, compete in these games. And look, moving forward, Washington is at the Raiders. They host the Cowboys, and they're at the Eagles, and then a lot of NFC East divisional matchups. So a lot of games that you can be able to win here to get in this NFC wild card and keep this NFC wild card thing going. So. Good for Washington. So yeah, it's a weird finish their schedule. Like the last four or five games are all divisional opponents, which mm-hmm. is something you don't usually see. And obviously, the NFC East has not been strong again this year. Slightly better than last year with the Cowboys being healthy. But I think having the opportunity to play the Eagles and the Giants twice, or playing the Eagles and the Giants twice towards the end of the year and get that opportunity yep. will definitely give them a boost and get that final playoff spot that's wide open. Obviously, you still have Minnesota fighting for the spot. You still have. Uh, Seattle, or San Francisco is in the five spot. You have Atlanta right there, New Orleans. So I definitely think that the schedule favors Washington to get back into the playoffs. They've looked a lot better, even offensively. Taylor Heineke finally looks good. Uh, Antonio Gibson's starting to run the ball better. I think that just that offense is starting to get starting to click, and they're with an easier schedule. They should continue to improve. Moving on, Sunday night football. The Ravens took on the Browns in what was. A stinker. A stinker. That Boring. was just it, – it was – I mean, if you like defense, you like turnovers, that was the game for you. The Ravens beat the Browns 16-10. to 10. Both both quarterback play was not great no, for either side. No, it was not. Side. And Lamar Jackson with four interceptions and Baker Mayfield obviously still favoring that left sh- that shoulder injury. Uh, you know, playing with, playing through that all year, he just has not looked the same ever since, you know, the Baker, Baker Mayfield. We, we saw a contour the end of the year last year with the Browns. And – I don't know where the Browns go going forward because they've had they've had high expectations, um, and they just haven't really lived up to it in my in my opinion. But going forward, I think if the Browns want to want to get going. They got to start winning these these close games and rely on their defense because Baker Mayfield is not going to get it done with this with this injury. I'm not I'm not hating on Mayfield, but he is he's totally injured right now. And as far as the Ravens, Lamar's got to limit the turnovers, but they're looking for that. That AFC AFC North playoff AFC North uh, title. I mean, so I mean that win for the Ravens puts them atop the NFC or top the AFC. They're the one seed as of right now. Mm-hmm. So didn't look pretty, but you got the win. I mean it's a good good win for you. Obviously at home uh, for the Browns, you get the bye week next week yep. before playing the Ravens again, which is I think I don't think that's ever happened before where a team has played yeah. teams back to back games. I think just because of the new seventeen games uh, seventeen game schedule, that's the first time that's ever happened. So they got an opportunity to rest up, get ready to beat, to go out and try and beat Baltimore again, which they're going to need to because right now they sit. There are four teams ahead of them, or five teams ahead of them for a playoff spot, and now the Dolphins, who are right behind them, look like a brand-new team. That defense is starting to play like it did last year. So they're in a sink-or-swim type moment where, I mean, your schedule after the Ravens isn't much better. You host the Raiders. You go to Green Bay on Christmas on Christmas Day. You go to Pittsburgh and then you play the Bengals. So just that's brutal. It, it, it's, it's a brutal schedule. Can they do it? We'll see. They have to run the ball better. They ran the ball very poorly on Sunday. I think their leading rusher 
was Kareem Hunt, who had 20 yards. They ran on 17 carries, they ran the ball for 40 yards. That's not going to get that's no. not the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Baker didn't turn the ball over, didn't have any picks. I mean, 18 for 37 is not good, obviously, but I, I gotta, he got to run the ball, and that just was not there. And we're just going to have to wait and see if they can find a way to get into the playoffs in a very tough AFC. We're starting to see this Ravens defense kind of come to life again. They were struggling early in the year, giving up 40 to the Bengals, I believe, um, I believe like six six or seven weeks ago. And we're starting to see this Ravens defense with the Wink Martindale defense come to life here. So it's good It's good to see them, the, the Ravens, come back to that form we've used to see from them. Definitely. And another big game on Sunday the Rams traveled to Lambeau to take on the Packers. Now, the final score was 36-28 to in favor of the Packers, but the game was not that close. No, it wasn't. The, the Rams just not looking like, themse- not looking like themselves, all the, all the hype with Von Miller, the Von Miller trading and the Odell, the Odell Beckham Jr. signing, and the Packers looking like the best team in the NFL, in my opinion, right now. I know the Cardinals are 9-2, and and they're, and they're still kind of rolling here, but... The Packers look like the team to be. Aaron Rodgers is rolling. Devontae Adams is still Devontae Adams. And that defense, the Joe Barry defense for the Packers, is looking really good. Like, really good. Because last year we didn't see anything like this. Like, the Packers defense was pretty good last year. But, you know, they did they did not play well in, the, in that NFC title game. And the Joe Barry offense without Jair Alexander, without Zadarius Smith, are looking like one of the best defensive units in the NFL right now. Yeah, it's definitely weird. I, I mean... Most of the season, I thought the Packers look like they do every year, right? They beat the teams they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. They get in the big games, and Rodgers can't do it all, and sometimes the defense struggles. They went out, and they, they own that game, which just surprised, surprised me. They definitely now look like the top team in the NFC and should be that Super Bowl contender out of the NFC. For the Rams, when you signed Von <coughs> Miller, you were 7-1, and one, and uh, you know he made the comment. He went to bed 3-4, and four, woke up 7-1. and one. He's been 0-3 as a Ram. Uh, I just, I just, I, I don't know where the disconnect is as the Rams. Um, I don't think it all falls on Stafford. I mean, he hasn't played well as of late either, but I just think that there's something going on where they're just maybe just throwing all this together in the middle of the season just isn't working. Just a big disconnect. Just, yeah. You saw, you saw in the nine in the Forty ers game on Monday night, they were just dropping passes, not being like the Rams. I don't know what's going on over there, but I think they can get it together. Look, the Rams. Um, up their schedule here, but you know they're they still get, they still have a pretty winnable schedule going forward. You know they host the Jaguars. You go to the Cardinals. That's a tough game, but you host the Seahawks. You go to the Vikings. You go to the Ravens, and then you host the Niners again. So three of those games are pretty winnable again to, to to keep up in this NFC wild card hunt. So yeah, we'll have to see. I definitely think that the wild card is. I don't want to say it's safe for them because it's very easily for them. They're, I mean they're only one game. They're only two games ahead of. Ahead of the uh, ahead of the Vikings were the first team out. So if you keep sleep, I mean, at seven and one, you were saying even if they struggle, they'll be fine. Well, they've struggled, they've done about as bad as you can possibly do, and now they're up against the wall. Where if they continue to struggle, they're in. They're, so now it's you gotta you gotta show up because you don't have as much uh, uh, leeway. Um, so I def, but I definitely think they can get the final wild card spot. Like you said, they have some pretty winnable games here coming up. I but I don't think they catch the Cardinals which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, right? They play, I think they can definitely be a team like the Cowboys in the first round of the playoffs, depending on who they get. But just weird disconnect. I, I, I Offensively, I do think Odell is part of the issue. I do think that Stafford is target, trying to force the ball to him. He had 10, Odell had 10 targets on Sunday, only five catches. 
it just I, I it just sometimes it seems like he's forcing him the ball. And I definitely think that might be part of the issue. But I think the entire offense, defense, the entire team looks disconnected. I do feel like they also miss Robert Woods. That was a big loss for them because Robert Woods is that guy that you can go to when you need it. Like Cooper Cuff's their main, their main guy, obviously. But you, Robert Woods is their second guy that they can use you know, to go deep and run those. Because Robert Woods is a really good route runner. And, and I think they really miss him. So it's a, it's a tough loss for them with the torn ACL. Yeah, Robert Woods, and like you said, obviously be a big part. He even does the stuff that, you know, doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Right? Mm-hmm. He's a very good blocker. He acts almost as a tight end sometimes, blocking mm-hmm. his receiver. Odell Beckham came in, but he doesn't do that, right? And, I mean, I don't. Van Jefferson doesn't do that. Obviously, Cooper Cup doesn't do that. So it's a big piece of their offense that just, that just they lost. So I definitely think that there's just been lots of pieces that just they're they're trying to piece it all together. I think they'll figure it out, but for now they just it, it's it's a big question mark. I don't know if a, them missing a playoffs is. I I don't think they'll miss the playoffs. No, but it's they'll get in. They, they should get in, but we'll just have to wait and see. Last thing I want to ask you: Which team was your winner of the weekend? Who who impressed you the most? And then. Yeah, who impressed you the most? Um, my winner of the weekend would probably have to be the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, you're grand you are at home and you host a Vikings team that, you know, they're good. They're they're a solid team. You know, they were kind of sneaky up on you, but the Niners, what they did, they're th- they were they've won three straight. They're 3 and 5, now they're 6 and 5. They're right in the middle of that NFC wildcard hunt. They've done with the running game now with, with Debo Samuel, who's actually going to miss one to two weeks as as well as as well as Fred Warner, their their star linebacker, but what they've done with that, what they've done with the running game with Kyle Shanahan has, has been pretty impressive, and their defense has been much better too. Um, so yeah, I think that has to be my winner of the week. Yeah, definitely. What about they, you? Yeah, definitely. They ran for over two hundred yards. Obviously, Debo Samuel now looking, they're using a lot him a lot in the running game. So definitely, they look more like what I expected the Niners mm-hmm. to be coming this season. I thought they were going to win the West coming into the year. Rough start, probably not in the in the future for them, but definitely a wild card spot looks very strong for me. My winner of the week is going to be the new England Patriots. I think I picked them two yeah. weeks ago, but I, I have to pick them again. They went out, played their first, I want, I would say true test since they've turned, since they've turned the corner against the, not against a Titans team. And I mean, they dominated them right top to bottom. They, they shut them down. Tannehill just did. I mean, Tannehill did not look good at all. The Tennessee ran the ball pretty well. They ran for over 270 yards, which is shocking, but they just could not throw the ball. And Mac Jones looked great again. I mean, what can you say? Patriots. Yeah, he's 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 my rookie of the year right now, Mac Jones, right? De- oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, the Patriots just have continued to do what they do, and it's I'm just curious to see how far this will take them. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what could stop them. I'd like to see them go on the road now. I mean, I, I don't want to say, like, they haven't proven anything yet. Obviously, it's the Patriots, so that right, that that they should get the respect that they deserve. But I'm just, all right, they play a good Titans team. Now next week, this week, they play Monday Night Football. At How about Buffalo. that, at Buffalo? That's, that's, that's the game where you it. prove it for both for even, both teams, really. That's yeah. going to be a great game. Even if they don't win, I mean, I'm not going to let them off the hook. But just a strong performance from them just to see that, yes, they are here. And I, so I definitely believe in uh, New England. A win for them would really put them in the driver's seat for the division, which would be awesome to see. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Who is your loser of the weekend? My loser of the weekend. um, You go first. I got to think about this one. Uh, Part of me wants to go with the, I'm not going to go with the Colts. I'm going to go with the Steelers. 
I was thinking of them, yeah. Yeah, they had their opportunity to uh, continue to stay in the playoff race. Obviously tough to go into Cincinnati, who's been very good this year. But you got waxed. I mean, you just absolutely just did not show up. They, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. They, they didn't play well. Their defense didn't show up. And now J.J. Watt's on COVID protocol. So he's out for at least probably next week at least. And they can't afford to be losing games at this point now that they sit 5-5-1. Five, five and one. They didn't run the ball well. Big Ben, I mean, when Big Ben throws the ball 40-plus times a game, you know your team, you know you're, you're doing something wrong. Because it just it doesn't work. You can't you can't do that with the way your offense is built. So, I I mean the Steelers are in trouble. That is a good one. Yeah, and Big Ben does look cooked. Um, I would say my loser of the weekend. You know, I mean we just talked about it. it. Has to be the L.A. Rams. I mean they're coming in as a favorite. I know it's tough to play in Lambeau, but the way they looked against the Packers was just very disappointing. And especially with a Super Bowl favorite like they are, with Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. and Aaron Donald on that on that side of the ball. They just did not look. They did not look great, um, and I would say a second loser um, would probably have to be the um, would probably have to be the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, what they how they've looked. I mean, I thought they were going to be one of these AFC teams before the year. They were going to be in the Super Bowl conversation and a team to, to win the AFC. And how they've looked at the beginning of the year, but now they've looked you know pretty sluggish so far. Um, you know, losing to Denver the way they did so. We'll have to see. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one. So the city of L.A. definitely had a rough weekend in football. The Chargers have obviously been very up and down. They have the Bengals this weekend on the road, so it doesn't get much easier for them. Uh, They have a couple winnable games coming up with the Giants and the Texans, but with how tough the AFC has been, you just you can't afford to just drop eggs like that, right? You have to yep. go out and I mean every I know it's tough, right? And every weekend you see teams that should go out and perform well and they don't, but just dropping multiple games like that a year is what costs you playoff spots. So we'll just have to wait and see. So that's gonna do it for us here at Impact Sports Daily here on November thirtieth on this Tuesday afternoon. I am your host Matt Merrifield, joined with Jada Coster. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Impact Sports Daily. Our thanks to Impact's General Manager, Jeremy Whiting, Station Manager, Amber Kinetsky, and Programming Director, McKenna Lowndes. For more, visit impact89fm.org sports.